I'm Jessica Peresta, host of the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Steve here, and my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Daniel Jackson, founder of Teachers PD and author of Work Less, Teach More, How to Be an Effective Teacher and Live a Life You Love. What a cool book. So much to learn today. Thanks for being here. And uh, by the way, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? Thanks so much. You're awesome. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dan Jackson has been teaching since 2006 in Sydney, Australia. He has had many different roles, including classroom teacher, stage advisor, head teacher, deputy principal, and acting principal. He is currently an education consultant and presenter. Dan is the founder of Teachers PD, host of the Effective Teaching Podcast, author of the number one bestseller on Amazon, Work Less, Teach More, and a husband and the father of two children. Dan, it is awesome having you here today. Thanks for joining me and say hi to everyone. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you on the show. And uh, Dan, before we talk about your book and podcast, let's talk about you as a teacher. What do you like best about working with kids? Uh, I think the best thing for me as a teacher has definitely been watching the students grow and progress over time. And you, you're seeing them go as a high school teacher, you see them from year seven through to year 12 and the way that they grow and mature and the changes that they make in that amount of time in their life. And, you know, they're really key points in their time in their life. I think it's amazing to just watch the kids grow into young adults and then watch them graduate. You get that sense of pride and stuff as they graduate. And it's, it's lovely. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. That's, you know, I don't know how it works in other roles, businesses, you know, roles that people play and stuff like this, but uh, that's a cool thing about 
working with kids. So good stuff. Uh, if you could go back in time to the day before your first day of teaching, is there any advice that you'd take back with you and say, hey, psst, come here, I got to tell you something? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just open my big book over here. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I would, um, I think the number one advice for me when I started, I needed to know was, I mean, I started teaching when I was 21 and I was teaching kids who were 18. And so I needed to make sure that I really knew the, the difference in relationship. They weren't my friends. Uh, I needed to make sure that that was really clear. And I should have, I should have really, uh, yeah, I'd tell myself that to start with for sure. To, you know, these are your students. You can't behave in a way that whether your friends, because I did actually get myself in a little bit of trouble at the beginning of my first year or two of teaching Oops. because <laughs> I was just, uh, just, just too friendly, not, not in a, in a overly troublesome way. Just, you know, you just, I just said stuff off the cuff thinking I was making jokes and hurt people's feelings. <laughs> I, un I can understand. I can understand. Great advice. It, you know, it's funny how it, you know, just, just, I can tell you that I just wish that I could, you could go back and say, okay, let's get this straight now. Now that I've got all this experience, <laughs> let me go back and tap my, you know, however it works, just whisper in my ear, wow, i got a great idea. Maybe I should try this. And that's, <laughs> that's awesome advice there. Remember that uh, we may be close in age when you're first starting, but uh, got to find that distance. So good stuff. I like that. I, you know, Dan, you have a website called Teachers PD. During the intro video, you comment that it's a place where teachers can continue to refine their skills in order to provide rich, engaging, and authentic learning. Could you talk about some of the courses that you offer and, and uh, ways that you help them um, get this to refine their learning? Yeah, sure. So I offer online courses. I also offer like, you know, one-on-one -on -one consulting and all that kind of stuff too. Uh, but the courses that I provide, so they really, I mean, some of them are quite basic in terms of what's in them. Uh, but I think my, the core ones at the moment were definitely, you know, I have an introduction to Google and then I have a Google, like a Google two type course um, where people get to learn how to use all the Google tools and how to apply them, you know, with COVID coming out, you know, a couple of years ago that those courses have definitely been the more in demand ones because people have been using a lot of Google's resources to do the remote learning and to do, you know, teaching in lockdowns and blended teaching and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I also do ones that are based around flipped learning because I do see flipped learning as something that I know everyone says it takes a lot of time, but I actually found that particularly once it's set up, it saves you so much time going forward because you don't have to keep making all those videos unless your syllabus or something is updated. Uh, then you might need to change a few things, but yeah, just, having those resources there for you to use all the time has saved me a lot of time throughout my career. Uh, and then, yeah, there's ones there about how teachers, how students learn or really about how anyone learns, but, and then how to uh, really capitalize that on that in the classroom. So looking at things like coordinative load and how students actually, you know, connect new information to old information and how to forge those connections for them and to make it really obvious for them. And uh, just, yeah, a lot of stuff like that, and so there's more coming. There's always more coming. <laughs> but yeah, so there's the courses that are all about how, how to improve what you're doing in the class. Even even the stuff on Google, it's not just about yeah. You know, they're not just videos of here's how you use the Google application. There's also plenty of video. Each application has a video that talks about okay, how do I use this application in my classroom, and how do I reflect on you know, its use and the benefits of it, you know, how is it actually improving my students' learning 
or should I not have used it at all during that lesson because actually it distracted my students from their learning because we all know technology can be a massive distraction as well. And so I try to always focus on making sure that whatever you're using in your classroom, you're, you're using it well. It's always related to your goal in teaching because I think your learning goals that you've set up are always the most important thing for you to do starting off with what you're doing because you want to make sure everything you're doing then progresses to achieving that, helping your students achieve that. And there's lots that goes into that, you know, getting to know your students and what their goals are and connecting their learning goals into their actual their real goals that they have, their life goals and those types of things. And so, yeah, I, I see a lot of what I'm doing blending into you know, really trying to achieve the learning for the students but also making sure that we're preparing our students for life beyond school, not just preparing our students for passing that test or, you know, uh, particularly as you get into the, the end stages of school, the stakes of tests suddenly go up massively and everyone gets really, really stressed about them. Uh, and I think it's very important for us as educators to remember that, yeah, that's just a single test and there's so many other ways to get into university and college and there's so many other ways to be successful in life without even going to university and college. And I think um, our, our key processes, educators, or not so much the, process, the key outcome that we're after is actually to make sure that our students know how to learn and that they're really prepared for life, whatever their life is, once they leave school. It's not just to prepare them for college or university. I, and I love that too, because that's that that thought. It's like there's so much more that we're doing. I mean, we we should be. You know, it is about helping them you know, get a view of what's, what some choices might be to come down the road. I mean, there's the possibility, just so many different pathways that we're kind of introducing them to that instead of just the idea that it's all about a test, which is sad. So, but it's good stuff. Your, your website's awesome. It's easy to navigate, which kudos to you. I like that. And, uh, uh, and I got to ask you, um, so you started talking about this in the beginning. You mentioned it, uh, you, you're a consultant. You can be hired to be brought in and uh, talk. And you, you even say that up there, bring me, Bring me to your place. Uh, you want to mention some of that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I've done plenty of work with schools, particularly around Australia, obviously, because that's where I'm based. But, um, yeah, I, I work with schools with them uh, switching over to Google to implementing that across their school. I've done stuff around flipped learning at, the school, at schools. Uh, I've done some coaching of faculties, particularly in the area that I teach in my state. You know, I've got our own subject and what it's called. It's all about health and stuff and so it goes all the way through to year 12 and so I, I take on faculties sometimes and I coach them for uh, six months to a year uh, sometimes to help them to really create great programs that they're using units of work uh, how to create really top quality assessment tasks and to help them to do a, do a really good job of what they're doing but yeah I, I I really love working with teachers. Uh, they've kind of, as, as you progress, I think, in teaching and they decide to pull you out of a classroom and to start making you, you know, a deputy or something like that, suddenly all the teachers that you're around kind of become your students. And so watching them grow and progress and seeing the changes that they make suddenly, you know, are the things that make you proud. And you go, oh, yes, I helped you. I helped you do that. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's now mostly what I do now is work, work a lot with uh, teachers and to help them to improve their practice in, in lots of different ways. You know, I do project-based learning stuff as well. And uh, it's, it's good fun. It's good fun to just create all this stuff and to have the time. I mean, I personally now have a bit more time, which means that I can do more of the research behind stuff as well. So getting the chances to read all the books that are around on education, there's so many these days, and then to be able to 
kind of synthesize them for people and to pull out the, the bits that are actually helpful for a teacher and then go, all right, so you want this from Hattie and you want this from you know Dylan Williams and you want this <laughs> uh, from Michael Anderson or anyone else. There's so there's just there's so much out there. And he's like, oh, let's bring this together and let's try and try and look at what that might look like for you. And yeah, you know, when teachers have questions, you're like, oh that's this is this works for that. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. So good stuff. The uh, you know one of the things that I want to make sure that we we talk about because we're getting close to talking about your book. And one of the things I want to make sure we mention is that you have a podcast called the Effective Teaching Podcast. And I'm a subscriber. Uh, what do you want to accomplish with the podcast? Yeah, look, I started out the podcast to focus on strategies that teachers use in the classroom that can help students to become lifelong learners. So it's not just you know about achieving the learning but asking about the process of the learning and uh, kind of falling in love with learning because I know I found as a student that once I learned how to learn suddenly learning was fun it was enjoyable Uh, you you got that sense of pride you enjoyed knowing stuff all that kind of stuff Um, and so yeah the the podcast started out like that it has evolved from there so it still has that very much at its core that it provides a lot of yeah, simple strategies to even more complex strategies, I guess, throughout the podcast that teachers can apply. I try and give them something they can do each week when I talk about that. But I've also branched off into doing a whole bunch of other stuff that's just about helping teachers. Uh, because as you go with your podcast, you're like, well, my audience are teachers and I know that you know, this has happened or that has happened and so now I, I should probably talk about that and give people you know, my thoughts on things or uh, even like I do things where I summarize what's in books as well. I do what we call them book club episodes or what you will learn type episodes. And so I've done episodes where I've just, I've spoken to authors and just interviewed them about their books or I've, um, I've just done my own little thing, summarizing a book and gone through it kind of chapter by chapter, giving a brief summary. Because these days you, know, you buy so many of your books now on Amazon or online it's hard to actually go to a shop where there's lots of education books that you can flick through and have a look at before you buy them. And so uh, part of what I wanted to do was to actually start to, to provide people with that kind of flipping through what's actually in the book so that they know, oh, okay, yeah, I might bother to purchase that or I might not. But yeah, so now the, the podcast now is covering a lot broader range of things, including now you know, with the release of the book that I've now started talking a lot more about you know, reducing your time uh, that you spend at work and how to do that well to still be effective in what you're doing, but to be long lasting because I think that's part of the problem is that if you think that you have to work hard to be effective, then suddenly you don't see working less as an option. That makes so much sense. And I, and I gotta, and I gotta tell you, I enjoy it. Your, your episodes are uh, very, uh, very purposeful and useful and, uh, and, the, one of my favorite authors is Seth Godin and you did the one on the purple cow. And, uh, and I like that. I like that a lot. Cool. By the way. So I thought that was cool. You kind of <laughs> tapping into that. How, Thanks. how can we make our uh, teaching exceptional? That's a little like a purple cow. So I like that. So, uh, and good stuff. I, but, uh, keep on going there and enjoying them and, uh, and, and, uh, enjoying sharing them with my colleagues. So, uh, love it. I, I, Thank you. So let's, so Dan, let's shift to your book, Work Less, Teach More, How to Be an Effective Teacher and Live a Life You Love. What was your original inspiration? I mean, what is it that said to you, I have to write this book? So I originally, at the beginning of this year, I sent out a survey 
to my teachers that would subscribe to my email list. Let's ask them, what's your number one problem at the moment that I can help you with basically. Uh, and I'll, I, what I wanted from them was for them to say, you know, I need help programming. I need someone to have a look at how I create my assessment tasks or, you know, I need help with classroom management and, and any of the you know, kind of day-to-day teaching things that we do. Uh, but yeah, the overwhelming response was time. We're just busy. We're busy. We're busy. Particularly, you know, it was, COVID had already come, so you know, people were already had done a year of you know lockdowns and not lockdowns and blended teaching and changing things every six weeks because the rules change every week. Uh, so having received all that, you know, I started reading. I'm like, yeah, I know that. Like, I, I knew that they were going to say busyness, but I'm like, oh, I should have put on the question that except for time, you know. <laughs> uh, but as I was reading through all the responses and yeah, there were, there were plenty of them and a lot of them were saying that they were just too busy and over, over, overwhelmed with their time. And they made me reflect on where I was as a teacher and like, you know, how I'd actually gone through my journey and the fact that I actually got to the point where the last five or more, <clears throat> sorry, over the last five or more years, I'd actually managed to reduce my workload and yet become more effective in my teaching. And I think a lot of teachers are blown away by that concept that you can actually do less, but be more effective in what you're doing. And so as I was thinking through it, I tried to work out where I got all that from. And, you know, I realized that I could actually share a lot of what I've learned because a lot of what I was applying, I'd actually learned through all the business books that I ended up reading because as soon as you, start a business, which I think I've now been running a business for seven, eight years uh, now. And when I started the business, the nature of myself, you know, I read books. I love reading books. I love listening to audio books. And so I just, I started reading lots of business books, anything anyone recommended to me, I read and I started to apply it. But what I found is when I was in the classroom and when I was at school, I was applying it there as well. And so suddenly what I was doing at school, I started focusing more on doing the things that really matter and doing less of the things that don't matter. Uh, I was fortunate enough, I was at a school too that was a, it was a brand new school. And so I was fortunate enough to not have to fight a lot of systems, I guess, that were already set up and established uh, in that sense. But I still had to, you know, not, not fight for things, but start to convince my principal of a whole bunch of stuff that I wanted to happen. Uh, and so I had processes that I even used for that. And so, yeah, it, it came out of the the what the teachers had and me realizing that I actually had something that I could do to help them. And once I worked that out, I was like, oh, I actually, because I, I, I would start work at, I get on the train at 6.30 to go to school and I would get off the train at quarter past four in the afternoon. And that was my work day. I didn't work outside of that unless it was a parent teacher night or, you know, there was a graduation ceremony. I, I went to those, but generally I didn't work outside of they, they were my hours. And so, yeah, if a, someone sent me an email at four sixteen, I didn't reply to it until the next morning at six thirty, And yeah, you know, I got to spend all afternoon with my kids at home and I got to, you know, be involved with cooking meals and taking kids out to play or going to you know, sporting activities or whatever was there. And suddenly yeah, the balance in my life was so much better because I could do that. I was still also running in my businesses. And so I still had time to do that and be with my kids who were still quite young. And it just me realizing that I just went, oh, I've got to 
now share that. Once once you learn that you've got that, and you're like, I've, I've got to help other teachers in this area. And so that's why I then sat down and did the process of writing the book. And it was great. It was so, I really, really enjoyed the process actually of, of writing. It was lovely. <laughs> that's cool. That's very cool. That's a, you know, and, and uh, um, and, and it's just, you know, kind of that thing that I, I kind of uh, enjoy asking people is, you know, what just really made you go, I got to put this down in writing. And it's, it's kind of cool because, you know, because a lot of people tell you they start books, but they don't finish them. You finished. <laughs> so <laughs> kudos there too. So, uh, you know, that means that you had to have some drive to make sure that you uh, brought it to a conclusion, which I think that's awesome. It, you know, in the, in the forward to your book, Work Less, Teach More, you make it clear that your book is not about productivity or efficiency. Could you talk about this just a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I think, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, I think at that point in my book, what I'm really trying to do is establish the fact that the book is about effectiveness. It's not just, a, because I think there's lots of stuff around that exists. You can go read anything on productivity and apply it to, to teaching. But this book's really about effective teaching. Uh, and so that means that I've taken, like the, there's elements in the book that talk about efficiency and productivity, but they're talked about within the context of being effective. Because if you don't have that context, then you can, you can be very productive. But if you're producing the wrong stuff, then you're wasting your time. You know, if you're really being, if you're efficient at things and you can get lots of stuff done fast, but you're not getting the right stuff done, your impact is still going to be the same size as it was beforehand. You know, if you, you're spending lots of time filling in paperwork and you can fill in paperwork really fast, that's great. But you know, you're a teacher, your core aspect is actually the teaching of your students. Uh, it's your coming up with your ideas of how you're going to be teaching, all that kind of stuff. It's assessing where students are at, interpreting that and working forward with your students. And so yeah, actually making sure that the book was framed at the beginning by saying, you know, we're not just talking about being effective. We're not just talking about productivity. This book is about being an effective teacher and being an effective teacher is about doing the right things, the impactful things and focusing on getting those things done. Uh, identifying the things that are the most important things for us to do as teachers and ensuring they get done, not allowing them to get neglected because then they don't become urgent. And I think a lot of things within teaching that are important are not urgent. You know, it's not always urgent for me to go and do the research, to read the books, to listen to podcasts, to go and, and do the stuff that actually informs how I'm going to then go about teaching. And it can be teaching a particular student who has a, has a disability, or it could be teaching a student from a particular culture that I'm not familiar with. Yeah. I can, if I don't go off and do that time and make that thing that's important, if I don't prioritize that, then suddenly I don't, I'm not going to get to it. And so that student or those students, you know, uh, are going to suffer from that. My teaching is going to be poorer and there's so much within education that just gets pushed on us as being urgent that is not necessarily urgent for the teacher and it's not necessarily a requirement either. Some, there's a lot of cultural things that exist within teaching of, you know, oh, you've got to do it this way, or you've got to do this, you've got to do that. But really when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, a lot of it you don't have to do, at least you don't have to do that way, you know, the, the way that's taking up all your time. There's actually lots of ways where you can shrink stuff down and just go, you know what, I don't need to be marking my role every single lesson because legally, I, well, at least in my state, legally I don't. Legally I've got to mark it once a day 
And so that's what I'm going to do. And then I can check all day whether or not I've got those students. I can check you know, what other people have marked if I need to. But you know when people are away, if they're not in your class, and you just go, oh, you always ask your students, don't you? You go, oh, where's where's Johnny? I haven't seen him today. And they're like, oh, he's off sick. You know, he's got this or... You know, his, his mum's travelling and he's got to look after his younger sister or something. You know, you always get the, the reasons from the kids and then you can check if you need to later and go, oh, actually, he was meant to be at school and he was at school, but he wasn't in my class. I can follow that up later. But it's it's important for us to, to find those things that are just easier, I think, and that help us to focus on the things that matter because there's, yeah, there's just too much stuff that gets placed on a teacher that we think is urgent things that we think we need to, we have to get done. And even that there are lots of things that are urgent, but they're not important, <laughs> you know, uh, even, even to an extent, to an extent, uh, you know, the whole report writing time, you know, we don't do that until it becomes urgent you know, until it's until reports are due next week. Teachers generally aren't thinking about their reports and writing their reports and planning their reports. But I found you know, as a teacher, if I actually re- know that I've got to write reports, at whatever time I can start to collect stuff and even start to write my comments way before I get there. You know, as I look at students work, if I see something that's amazing, I can jot it down in like a class profile. And then at the end of that, I go, Oh, look, I can take stuff out of my class profile here. My comments written. I don't have to spend time thinking about it. I don't have to go and research stuff. And you know, when you're a high school teacher and sometimes you're teaching 300 students or something, you can sit there and go, sometimes you can go, who is that student? You know, this is term one reports. And I'm like, I, I I can't remember which one of those students that is <laughs> because I've got so many, I haven't quite learned their names yet. And so, yeah, it's, it's having those systems in place can make sure that things that shouldn't become urgent don't become like you can actually get them done before you get there. And I love this theme of your book. And I, and I got to tell you, cause something you just talked about is, is something that, you know, then catches my eye right as we get into the, uh, um, as you start talking in the introduction because you say this teaching is a unique form of work we prepare work at home then go to work and produce more work which we then take home to continue working (laughs) and i'm like oh my gosh that's right like on the money and uh you know let's go a little deeper into how this can cause issues because what you're talking about is why we've got to be able to find ways of of handling this because we do exactly what you just said you're you know you you're dealing with all this work and you create more work and you and take it all home. So let's let's talk a little bit more. Yeah, the, the nature of our work is that when we're actually at school, when we're, when we're at work, we spend a lot of our time teaching, right? We spend most of our time in the classroom. And that leaves very little time for us to be doing our lesson prep, our marking, uh, anything else that we're doing as a teacher, our reports, our paperwork, we've got to do risk assessments, we've got to do workplace health and safety inspections sometimes, we've got to do, you know, organising of, you know, we might be going off on an excursion or anything like that. And we then have to do that often at home because by the time you're finished teaching, you get into your staff room, there's 20 other teachers in there, you have a chat for half an hour or so, and then you go, I'll probably should head home, and then you head home. And that's when you're finally in a space where you're focused enough and you're not distracted enough that you can actually get that prep work done or that marking done. And then you've got to prep the next day and then you go into school. And I think the cyclic nature of that makes it difficult for teachers to find the time to really get the work done while they're at work. I think, you know, if you're particularly 
where I'm from, our primary teachers, they get very few periods off. You know, they, they are on pretty much all day, most days. And I think, you know, as teachers move into high school, you tend to get a couple more periods off because you know, the classes are cycling around and so you have a little bit more prep time. But even that, like we tend to not focus during our prep time. We kind of see it as, you know, just I need a break. I've been having these kids and whatever else, uh, or maybe there's something else that's happened and I'm going to go and deal with that. But I find if we can manage to set up a process or even routines, right, that can break into those habits that we have, then suddenly we can actually become more effective with our time that we're actually at work. I can get to work early and I can sit somewhere where I'm by myself, where I'm not going to be distracted. I can get that lesson prep done in about 20 minutes, you know, for the day or you know, half an hour or whatever, get ready for that. What's what's coming. And I can do that if I take that time to myself rather than going into the staff room where everyone is and saying, Oh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Right. If I can get into a different room, that's, isolated and by itself, I can get that work done in so little time because there are no distractions. And then when you're focused, you get so much more done. You know, we, we tell our kids this all the time, stop talking to each other, get the work done. You know, <laughs> it takes them ages in class to get something done that should take them five minutes because they're distracted. But if they can sit somewhere by themselves where there are no distractions, they can smash out that work in, in the five minutes that you wanted them to. Not a problem. And the same is for us here. Yeah, we need to just remove those distractions when we want to get focused work done. Yeah, if you need to get marking done, if you find a space at school where you are not distracted and you can get that marking done, you will get that marking done so much faster than if you take it home with you and sit in front of Netflix and mark it while you're watching a movie <laughs> because your brain's in two different places. You can't really watch a movie and mark properly at the same time. You're much better suited if you Mark it, you can get it done faster. And then you might still actually have the time to watch the movie. So there's lots of aspects in there of this, if, yeah, this breaking into that cycle of creating more work and doing that work at home. If we can try and keep things at school and you know, creating those start and end work times, I think is really important for us to actually have a deadline that we're working towards because deadlines force us to get stuff done by that time. And so if you decide... You know, I don't work past four o'clock or I don't work past five o'clock, even if you're willing to work till five. Yeah, you, know, you can then just say, well, it's now five o'clock. What have I got left? I'm going to do that tomorrow morning. Write a little list of what you're going to do tomorrow morning. Make sure you're ready for tomorrow morning. And then you can leave everything at school and go home. Like don't even take your computer with you <laughs> and just, just leave it all at school. Go home, enjoy your day at home or your afternoon at home. And then get to school in the morning, you know what you have to get done. Your list is there, ready to go. You sit down, you're focused, you get it done. And then if, you, if you're into your social stuff at school, and I think teachers, yeah, we're a community, we should be into our social and our relational aspects, then that requires us to think more about that too. If we can be more purposeful with our relationships and try and go deeper than just the hire to everyone as they walk in, you know, how's your day, you know, talking about whatever's been happening in classrooms to actually finding out more about people outside of school and their hobbies and connecting with them on weekends and, and that kind of stuff and turning them into quality friends rather than just acquaintances. And I think part of doing that more effectively is even using your time better and going, you know, what, I'm going to, I'm not going to be chatting to you while I'm trying to mark or while I'm trying to do yeah, even answering emails, which often doesn't take a lot of brain power, but if you can, not be doing that while you're talking to someone and actually scheduling time. You know what, this is when it suits me to go and sit down and have lunch 
And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down and have lunch. And I know this teacher and that teacher and that teacher are all off at the same time because it's lunchtime, everyone's off. And so we're actually going to come and sit together and have lunch and chat then, you know, and actually be a bit more intentional about what we're doing with those time brackets that we have to make sure we're getting the still focusing on our relationships, but it's not, it's not so spread out that it's actually meaning that, you know, I can't get work done and that I've got to then do that work at home where other relationships then suffer. You know, it's uh, as a, as a note, it's funny because as I was reading and, and listening to you right now, I, I, one of the worst that, things is the idea that, uh, you know, we, we do want to connect. And, and, I, and I think especially as a classroom teacher or a, from when I was a teacher to when I was an administrator, I mean, the same sorts of things will happen. You have some sort of interaction and you're just, just craving some sort of other interaction. It's like, okay, I've been doing this for the last hour. And so then you go and you go find somebody else or whether it's that staff room or it's a colleague down the hall or it's another administrator or whatever. And you're just like, I just need somebody to talk to about something other than what I've been dealing with. For the last little bit, and it's funny how we can be our own worst enemies. So I just, I just thought, uh, I, and I'm really bad about this. I, uh, it's one of those things where uh, I have to really focus myself, close my door, you know, put myself in the place to start working and get it done, and not look at the emails, turn off the, turn off the little notifications that might be going ding, ding, ding. You know, it's like, yeah, sh- <laughs> shut up, go away. You know, <laughs> you bother me. But anyway. Um, Thanks for talking a little bit more about that, because I think that's something that, uh, you know, and, and it's very, it comes out loud and clear through the chapters in your book about uh, helping them, you know, get through, understand that there's a way of getting work, you know, your work done so that you can, you don't ignore your family. So you don't ignore your spouse. You don't ignore whatever, whatever it is that uh, is that other part of your world and uh, good stuff. I'm going to jump through the fourth wall just a second. I got to ask you this question. Do you guys have to sponsor things like they do in the U.S.? Like teachers will sponsor clubs. Like I was, um, I did theater club. I was a soccer coach. I was. Yeah, I think generally teachers volunteer for a lot of that stuff, but mm-hmm. not always forced on you. Uh, and we don't normally, I think by sponsored, you mean like you ran it, right? You were the one right. who was in charge of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, in, in Australia, we tend to kind of volunteer a lot more to do all those things. It's There are definitely schools where it's expected that you would at least be involved in something. Uh, so, you know, if there's a musical on that year, they expect that, you know, most of the staff will end up being involved in some capacity in that musical. Uh, or if there's, you know, I, I was a health and physical education teacher as well. And so, you know, I was expected that I would be coaching plenty of sports teams. Uh, but, you know, we had school sports. So every Tuesday, all the teachers were involved in sport. And so, it was just uh, an element of what, what you then did. And then teachers would volunteer for, you know, they'll go and run this lunch group or they'll be involved in this after-school thing to help students with their maths or, what, or whatever they wanted to. And often the teachers would come up with it themselves uh, unless unless you were an expert in a particular area. Like if you were a music teacher, then you might be expected to be involved in the, the band stuff that happened after school or during lunchtime and stuff. But that was generally also... Uh, kind of allocated to you uh, you as you're hired, this is kind of the expectation. Uh, So there are those things there for sure. And I find, but as I've gone through the various levels of teaching and all those things that happened during lunchtime and stuff, I mean, there was a point for me where I actually had stuff on every lunch except for one during the, (laughs) during the week. So 
I think I had Wednesdays off where I could actually sit down and eat lunch. Other than that, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, all my lunches were taken uh, by various lunch groups. And that was partly my own doing, but also partly uh, just something that was expected upon me and asked of, of me. And so it wasn't until a bit later where I was like, you know, I don't need to do this much. I can, I can reduce this and, and focus on something that's a bit more targeted that, that I want to be involved in. And I found that too, once, once I had chosen what I was going to be doing and it kind of created it, then when I get asked to do something else, I say, oh, so that I'm doing this one, this at the moment, that's my focus. Uh, please just ask someone, someone else to do that. I don't have time for that one at the moment. And generally, I mean, I, you know, I've been a deputy, you're an administrator. We don't, you're not out looking for you know, that person has to do this necessarily. I mean, sometimes, yes, sometimes you're like, you know what, I need your expertise on this particular thing, right? But sometimes that happens. But generally, if you're just asking a teacher if they can do something, you know, like, can you help be involved in a lunch group? If they say, sorry, I'm already involved in other lunch groups and I, I can't, you just go, well, I'll find the next teacher. <laughs> like it's, it, whereas teachers, there's this culture of, oh, my deputy asked me to do something. I have to do it. And you're just like, well, no, you don't. You don't. Not unless the deputy or the principal is actually saying, this is part of your job. You have to do this. You know, if you're not writing your reports, then yes, they're going to come and say, you really have to write your reports. They were due yesterday and the, we're sending them out in the week and it needs to be proofed and put together, formatted properly. You have to get that done, right? Yeah, that's, there, there's different levels, I think, of, of things that are requested of us. And they, a lot of them seem to just kind of be put into, I, I have to do this. And even some of the culture of the way that schools are run in the sense of, you know, I know in, in my state here in Australia, teachers now, it's very hard to get a permanent job in, in the public system. They tend to just hire you as temporary and just renew your contract every year. So that every year you're in this sense of feeling of, you know, I might not have a job next year and you don't know until November, December of the, of the year for, for what's going to happen next year. And so there's a bit of stress about that. And so you feel like you've got to be involved in everything to show that you're really valuable and important to the school. Like who else is going to run this club if I'm not here, you know? Uh, and so they kind of work themselves a lot and make themselves really busy and say yes to everything so that at the end they think that that's going to mean that the principal is not going to, you know, they're not going to go, oh, I have to let you go because, you know, they think they're going to get kept, right? And it's, it's just a very poor system and it's teachers, it's really sad that it's teachers doing it to teachers. I think that's, that's particularly sad. Um, I would love to see teachers actually supporting each other and creating a culture where we don't take advantage of you know, teachers who are only employed part-time. But I mean, that's in, in my state, that's definitely a wider system issue. It's not one teacher's not going to fix that. But having said that, the more teachers who push back against it, the faster it will disappear. It's the way you know, things work in the world. But I think, yeah, we just, we need to find ways to make sure that we are looking after ourselves and our longevity over, you know, whether or not I'm going to have to stress about those kinds of things. And it's just, it's, it is very, very hard for teachers who are in that position. I think it's, I feel a lot for them. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that planet. It's something that, and it, and it, and I was just curious if you had that because, you know, we have anything under the sun that you might 
become the sponsor of the, you know, you just step forward to say, sure, I'll, I'll uh, volunteer and be the, uh, the yearbook sponsor, or I'll be the, you know, I, I have soccer skills, so I'll be a assistant soccer coach or something or, or whatever the, you know, the, the thing may be. I mean, I literally, and I, and, and I know what you mean. There are plenty of teachers who they think, you know, the more I got to say yes, you know, I just got to say yes, because if I say yes, you know, then it, maybe they'll, they'll see me as a valuable person or whatever. I, you know, exactly what you're talking about. And it's, and so this, a big part of your book gets, I mean, it really, really helps because we do this to ourselves and, and especially cause we're also there for kids. I mean, I took on an extra thing that wasn't anything except I, there were a group of kids when I was a classroom teacher, there's a group of kids that needed a place to meet that played uh, role play games. They played Dungeons and Dragons and a few others. And, and uh, I told them, I said, I tell you what, you can, you can meet during lunch in my classroom. And, uh, I said, I asked to have a few rules. I said, you know, no profanity. You got to let me play once in a while. <laughs> and you clean up after yourselves. <laughs> and, and you know, but of course that meant that I had to stay and supervise them. I couldn't just leave them alone. And so there went yeah. my lunch. And, uh, but, you know, it still was fun. <laughs> but we do, we do this thing to ourselves as educators. It seems like no matter what country part of the world we're in, we, we take up a lot of our time. So, you know, yeah. what one of the things that I want to make sure that uh, I, I mentioned here is that your book is really formatted in a cool way. At the beginning of each chapter, you provide the main idea, a summary of the chapter, and then at the end of the chapter, you have a sec segment called Actions. Could you share just a little bit about what your thinking was in putting the chapters together this way? Yeah, sure. I mean, I grew up, actually, and my, my dad was a teacher, and he used to always have, at the beginning of each of his lesson, this main idea concepts, and it was always like one sentence uh, of, you know, this is basically what you're going to learn today. Like it's kind of like a goal, your learning goal. Uh, and so as I was writing the book, because it's all about saving your time and being effective, right? And so I'm like, I've got to create a way. You know, I know as a teacher, and if I'm researching or looking for something, you know, I remember even at uni, I would look for the summary at the end of the chapter <laughs> and read the summary and then go, okay, this is the chapter I need. And then I might read the chapter. Whereas, like, and so I thought, well, why don't I put that at the, at the front, right? If you need to know if you want to read this chapter or not, read the main idea, read the summary. And if you go, okay, yeah, no, this is this is the stuff I need or this is something, I think too, because I want the book to be something that people refer back to often. I didn't, I, it's not a read once and put back on your shelf type book. It's a, I've read it once and now I'm going to read through it again more slowly and apply all the actions that are in there. And that's why that there's those actions in there because I don't want you just to read the book and go, oh, they're cool ideas. I want you to read the book and actually start to implement it and save yourself some time straight up. And so there's lots of things throughout the whole book. So th those main ideas and summaries are there to help you to find the bits that you need. But also if you just want to get a quick gist of what the book is, you can just read those first pages of each chapter. You're like, okay, I, I now have a pretty good idea of what the flow of the book's going to be and what's in there. And then the action steps are all about actually applying it to us as teachers, to yourself and thinking through your own, you know, your own goals, your own processes, your own context, because the book really, I've tried to write it in a way where it can be applied to any teacher in their context, because it, a lot of it really hinges around uh, that idea of where you're going as a teacher and what you want to be achieving. And, you know, I think, I know for me, what I wanted to be achieving as a teacher was to be impacting my students in a positive way, to be preparing them for life, to be a, a helpful community member of the school. Uh, but I also had goals outside of life to, you know, uh, be present for my kids and to be able to 
play with them after school and to hang out with them and, and do stuff with them that wasn't, you know, me trying to get work done with my kids. You know, there's, I'm scrolling my photos recently, go back a few years and I've got all these photos of me when my first child was born with him sitting on my lap while I'm working. <laughs> and I just say, oh, that was, yeah, I've come so far from that. Like uh, that, that's not something that I would really do anymore. I would not be sitting here with my child trying to get schoolwork done. I would either have that work done or I would at least put it down and I would go and play with my child uh, because that's, for me, it's a way more important priority than anything that has to do with school uh, unless the other thing at school is a particular person that I need to address, you know, uh, very specifically. But generally, you know, me getting a lesson prepared or me spending time with my, my son, way more important for me to spend time with my son. I can prepare a lesson, you know, tomorrow as I go into school. I can just make sure that I don't, you know, that 15 minutes, so it's been saying hello to everyone and sitting down and setting up my desk. I can easily just take a laptop and go and sit in my classroom and, and get that prepped on. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. That's, you know, it, it you know, it's a, I like the way, you know, with the format of the book and all this, you know, it, it's, it fits right with what you're talking about is, which is giving a, 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 a way things are done. And if you do this, you pay attention this way and, you know, it's going to work out better. And just like, by the way, like, like you said, I mean, that's, that's something that, uh, yeah, I remember those days when my when my sons were younger and a lot younger, and uh, you know, and you you're trying to figure out how to balance the work and so forth, and then somebody call you, and especially when you know my young my oldest son told me one day when I became a principal, uh, when I became an assistant principal, he said uh, he said, you know, Dad, I liked it better when you were a teacher, and <laughs> and then mm. it had all everything to do with the amount of access people had to me, you know, suddenly I was uh, away a lot more than before, and. Uh, you know, and it's uh, and it's something that we have to figure out. We have to figure out a balance because, and if we don't address it, then it's going to get out. It has the potential to really get out of whack. Um, you know, yeah. uh, go, go I was ahead. just going to say, I've got, I have a friend who is a teacher, and he stayed at the level of a head teacher for a long time. And I remember chatting to him when he finally took on a position as a deputy at another school. I'm like, why have you waited so long to do? And he was just like, well, I made a commitment that I would not actually move on to a higher level job in a school until my children had finished school because he wanted to be able to be present for his kids. And I think that, yeah, that, that's a simple decision that he's made. And he was a very, very good head teacher, well-respected, very experienced with all of this stuff and could easily have gotten a deputy principal job probably 10 years before he chose to go and do it. But the fact that he prioritized his kids, I was just like, that, that's effectiveness right there. Just going, you know what, this is, where I'm happy to be because it is, yeah. Once you become a deputy or an assistant principal or a vice principal, or you're a principal, suddenly, you know, people are calling you all afternoon into the evening, you know, particularly if you're doing all the sick days and that kind of cover teachers are calling you late at night and early in the morning to say, I'm sick. I'm not coming in tomorrow. And then you've got to make six phone calls to find someone to replace them. And it's, it's that extra level of busyness that if your life doesn't, isn't ready for that yet then to know that you know, that level of busyness isn't going to fit and to actually step out of that or not go into it to start with is actually a very wise decision and a very effective decision for you as a person and where, where you're, where you're going with your teaching and with, with your family. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting aspect of it because if you, if you're not careful, 
they're they're 28 and married you know <laughs> so, you know <laughs> yes. it's and you know blinked and it's it's there already and you're like well wait a second right well it's because you were at that meeting this meeting and that meeting and doing work on your computer and all this other stuff and and uh, making sure the the goalies all did the stuff they were supposed to do out there on the field and uh, your kid was growing up so uh, i think there's a 70s song in there someplace anyway um <laughs> with i gotta tell you there's there's some chapters that are just my favorite out of your book and one of them is chapter four focusing on what matters We've, you talked a little bit about this. We just got to touch back on this, which is why can this be difficult for teachers at times? Yeah, I think there's a lot in teaching that other people have decided matter. Uh, sometimes it's people who aren't teachers who have decided, you know, this really matters. Yeah. Even like for me personally, I, I think the the big push for a lot of testing is, is, is one of those things. You know, that's people who are not teachers thinking this is what matters. We need to constantly be checking our students in terms of, you know, okay, in my country, in Australia, we've got testing every two years to check students' reading, literacy uh, type levels and stuff. And I'm not against checking students' literacy and numeracy skills. I think it's actually a good thing if it's done in a way where the teacher then gets those results and can use those results to adjust their teaching. I think that's fantastic. But the way it's often used across my country is, you know, this school is better than that school. And, you know, uh, you know you're constantly comparing your kid to, to averages and you know, the way averages work is that 50% roughly are lower than that average and 50% are higher than that average. Uh, and so I think there's this big push for just this you know, nationwide testing, which is not, it's not necessarily what matters. It's not actually what's helpful. Uh, I think, it's way better for, yeah, because I see schools that spend so much time preparing students, you know, for these exams. And I'm like, well, that's not what school's for. School is not for preparing you for an exam, but the teachers feel like they have to because they're you know, higher up. People have said that they need to get these better scores in these tests because they reflect on how that principal is seen, how the school is seen. And then as the teacher, then reflects on how you're seen because the principal is then going to look at you and go, well, your kids didn't perform well, but the teacher next door to you did. So what, why weren't you preparing them for the exam? And I think it's, it's driving education in the wrong direction. I think that's something that doesn't, doesn't matter, but it's definitely something that's been placed upon us. And I think it's much more important for us as teachers, because we're actually the experts to sit down and say, well, what matters? Right? And not just what matters, for my classroom, but what matters for me as a teacher and what I'm trying to achieve with my life. Because I mean, part of the book actually talks much more broader than just your teaching. It starts to look at your whole life and you you thinking as a person and going, you know, what things matter for me at work? What things matter for me in my family life? What things matter for me in my community life, uh, in my spiritual life? And then bringing that together into some kind of a statement or some kind of a idea of where you're heading and what you want to achieve with your life. Because what tends to happen is that if we don't have a goal, if we don't have a point that we're going towards, it leaves us really open and susceptible to everyone else's ideas about what they want us to do and to be uh, working on. And so if you don't have a purpose, if you're not actually paddling yourself in a particular direction, the river will just take you because there's so much in the river of school where someone's just going to say, oh, come and do this with me or do that with me. Can you come and, you know, can you be my 
mentor? Can you uh, maybe come and spend some time on this project with me? Maybe we can all be involved in the in the yearbook. You know, <laughs> we can all be the sponsors of yearbooks. But it's it's really important for us to actually go. Do you know what? Yearbook is great, but that's not actually anywhere near where I'm going as a teacher. You know, there's so much in teaching that you want to get into. Like, you know, if you want to be a behavioral specialist and you know, how to manage classrooms and deal with difficult student behaviors and those difficult backgrounds that you've got to navigate, which normally are linked to those bad behaviors. Yeah. That's, that requires a lot of dedication and effort. And so if you then get distracted by, by musicals all the time or by band clubs and stuff, suddenly your time is getting drawn away from where you want to be, to be going. And I think it's, having been a deputy and I'm sure you would agree if teachers actually came to you and said, this is where I want to go. And this is what I really want to work on. Generally your response is like, that's, that's great. We can, we can definitely use that at our school, you know? Uh, and even if you want to be, you know, if you want to be a curriculum expert and you're really good at designing units of work, if I go and tell my principal that that's what I want to do, then often I know my response would be great. Let's find you, you know, your professional development should revolve around that. Uh, who else at the school is already really good that I can pair you up with, you know, the, who you can, who can help you to achieve that and who can guide you towards, you know, resources that you should be reading and that kind of stuff. How can I actually help you to do that? Because I see that as an asset for my school. If you're an expert in something and you're at my school, I can then utilize that throughout the school and I can make that your focus for you and go, okay, uh, we're going to be doing, yeah, we, we're going to try out project-based lear learning across different subject areas, you know, in year nine next year. I want to get you involved in that because that's something that you said that you're really keen to be an expert in. Uh, and so I know that it aligns with your values and your goals. Uh, it is something that's going to take up your time, right? Because working on this is going to be an extra project that's involves <laughs> research and it involves collaboration. And so it's going to take longer. But as I do that, I might then say, well, I'll also make sure that you're not on playground duty because that doesn't align with what you're doing. Uh, and I can utilize you better here and I can give someone else playground duty. You know, I can give it to the teacher who wants to connect more with students, put them on playground duty. They can go and hang out with the kids more uh, during their, their playground time and chat to kids and walk around and all that kind of stuff where they're seen by, with kids and the, you know, the stuff they love doing. You know, I've, there were times with my playground duties where I loved it. I would just walk around chatting to all the different groups of kids and you know, it was lovely. But then there'd be other times where you're just like, no, this is not what I'm, I'm, I'm not at playground duty time anymore. This is, <laughs> yeah, I've got other things I want to focus on. And so, yeah, being open and honest, having those conversations and working out what matters for you as a teacher can actually help your school in, in ways if you're open about that and, they can help you. Your school community can actually help you with stuff as well. It's not always about us giving. It can actually be a great resource for us to receive from. And I think once we identify what matters, it enables you to say no a lot more. Because, and I think that's kind of the chapter that might follow even. I know there's definitely a whole chapter on saying no. Because <laughs> I think a whole chapter needed to be devoted to, you know, a teacher's ability to say no to something. Because you know, either it's not legally required of you or because it doesn't actually match up with where you're going and where you think education should be heading. And you probably are an expert in education if you're a teacher. And if you're not, then do more study. And honestly, even if you're an expert, you're probably doing more study anyway, because otherwise you won't be an expert. <laughs> so that's the nature of, of life. But I think it's, 
it's so important for us as teachers to just know where we're going, to, to have those goals and to actually lay out processes to get there and to set up um, blocks really to kind of say, well, that's not actually about where I'm going and it's not something that's going to actually help me in my classroom. It's not going to help my students in my classroom. And so if I can say no to it, I'm going to say no to it. And I think that's, that's a super important thing. You can't, you can't say no if you haven't worked out what matters. I think that's, that's like, if, if you don't know where you're going, if you haven't worked out what's actually important, then when someone asks you to be involved in something, you don't really have a good reason to say no, you just kind of, unless, unless you're just you know, overwhelmed by lots of things that aren't overly important. But, uh, but yeah, when you have something that's focused and that you see is important, then when someone tries to distract you from it, you're like, no, nah, I'm, I'm working on this. So I'm sorry, I can't do that. I don't have the time or sorry, I can't do that. I'm already doing this other thing. Yeah. And even like I find blocking out my time, like when I create my, my schedules and stuff, it makes it easy to say no to things because I can get, ah, sorry, I, or I'm, I'm already blocked out that I'm busy at that time. I don't have to tell them what I'm busy doing. I could be busy having a cup of tea because that's the time I scheduled for me to actually have a break. (laughs) You know, that's fine. I think that's fine because we do need to have those breaks. And if you say, well, this is my free time, then you allow other people to have that because it's free. Whereas if you say, no, this is my time where I've scheduled for me to have my break, for me to not be face-to-face with kids and to not have to be talking to anyone. It's just time for me to sit down, relax, have a cup of tea, look out the window for a minute. Cause yeah. And it could be, you know, cause I know that my next period is Friday. It's the last period of the day. I need this. Otherwise the last period is going to be a bit crazy, you know, but by having that, it enables you to say no, by knowing what matters you know, and we matter, you know, that, that looking after yourself does matter a lot. And there's definitely elements of it through the book, the whole idea of looking after yourself. Because if you don't, you burn out, you know, you, teachers are one of those professions where we lose people frequently because they just, they burn out. They, they get worn out by, by the system, they get worn out by the commitments that they make, that they think they have to make. Uh, just so much that's really drawing them. But if we actually take the time to stop, reflect, and work out what matters for us, where we want to go, and to set up those barriers, suddenly you can get a lot done and work really quickly towards those goals. And you can help a lot of people along the way. I think that that's the side note is that, you know, by doing this and by sharing it with others, and then means I'm going to be helping lots of people as we go. That's awesome. You know, and, and, and Dan, it's really cool because, I mean, uh, just like you said, I mean, you have this, you know, I talked about chapter four, focusing on what matters. You know, chapter seven is the one where you do say, say, just say, you know, you're saying, say no, you can say no. And, you know, we feel pressure on us not to. And I, I, I was there. I wanted to go to another. I wanted to follow this principle that I really liked working with. And he said, and it was a brand new school where he's going. And he said to me, you know, Steve, it'd be awesome to bring you, but I don't have a yearbook sponsor. That's how I became a yearbook sponsor. All right. It was I went, all right, you got me. I'm coming and I'll do yearbook. And, you know, and, and one of your other chapters, uh, chapter eight, you, 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 it's talking about uh, specifically for teachers. And you have this comment in there about uh, um, wanting to instill in you the importance of setting start and stop times in your work life and sticking to them. And I, and I hear you talking about that because that's one of the problems we have. I think we have a big time problem, especially if you do any remote teaching as we forget <laughs> there's a start and stop time to the day. Um, you know, it's, it, it's just crazy it, with all this stuff going on. I gotta, 
you know, your last chapter is specifically for school leaders. And I was just wondering, Dan, if I could get you, if there was a message you wanted uh, the school leaders to have out of your book to help their teachers, what would it be? Yeah, I think my main message that I would give school leaders at this point in time is to do whatever we can to reduce the amount of extra work that we give teachers that draws them away from their core tasks, you know, their core tasks of teaching and prepping teaching and you know, all those things that we know, you know normally as, as school leaders, we've been there normally. And so if we, anything we can do to reduce that. And I think one of the biggest things that we can do that's quite easy to do is just only run meetings when you actually need someone else to contribute. If you're running a meeting so that you can stand at the front and just distribute information, that's an email that can be sent. That can be done in a short little video if you like. If you want everyone to see your face, make a video because teachers can consume that then in their time without having to sit there with, you know, 20 to 300 other teachers and then have, you know, Joe Blow down the front ask 10 questions and someone else over there ask six questions about stuff that doesn't impact them. You know, and that's, that's the thing is that when you call a meeting together for announcements and for that kind of stuff, suddenly what happens is that the meeting goes, just drags on because some people who it affects in a particular way do want more information and they are going to ask questions. But most of the rest of the people in that room don't need those answers. They don't care about that question necessarily because it's impacting someone on the other side of the school about something in particular to their context and it doesn't impact me and mine. And so I think the more that we can communicate in other mediums without the meetings, I think it will save teachers a lot of time. And I was chatting to a teacher recently who was talking about a meeting they were in. The meeting was scheduled to end at 4.15. It started at three o'clock. By 3.15, the agenda for the meeting had been finished, but the person running the meeting kept the meeting going until quarter past four, trying to get people to ask questions and to generate some kind of conversation about stuff. And I was just like, in what world is that okay for you to just go, well, I could have gotten this meeting done faster, but instead let's just drag everyone's time out and waste it. Like, and it's literally a waste of time. Like if you can get a meeting done in 15 minutes, that's meant to go for an hour and 15 minutes, and you say, this is awesome. Go and get some other work done that, you know, <laughs> that I know you all have that you want to get done or some of you want to get home earlier. Just go. Like it's, it's okay. And I think one of the things too that I found amazing is my most recent school that actually just left last year, the, the principal that I had there was, was amazing because one of the things that she did was that she gave teachers autonomy. She really encouraged teachers to make their own choices, to go like she just, and she would just kind of support that within, within bounds, I think, but she was very supportive. And, you know, if teachers wanted to try something out in their classroom, go ahead, give it a go. If you wanted to go and do a particular, lot of um, professional development, sure, go ahead. Like she's just would support that. If you were to try out a new program at the school, she'd go, okay, how, how might we do that? What would it look like? You know, Submit a proposal to me so I know exactly what we're talking about in terms of the impact, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Like she was never just going, no, you can do it this way and this way, and, that, and that's the only way. She just, and by, I think, by giving the teachers their autonomy, she actually got way more out of them. You know, she was very clear to them that you know, at four o'clock, you're. I mean, it was it was a very unique school. We had 
all the teachers had school phones because the students could actually call that phone. Um, it's uh, a thing about teaching kids to be adults, basically. <laughs> and so those phones that connected to the students were expected to be off by four o'clock. You know, those students should be calling you after four or before, or before eight o'clock in the morning. And she was clear she wasn't going to call you after those times either. Uh, unless you know, she desperately had to tell you that actually, you know, tomorrow you're not going to this place. It's because you're going somewhere else. But, um, and it was, and she stuck to that. Yeah. She did not contact you. She didn't expect you to email back to her during those times after school. She encouraged you to take time off. She encouraged you to, to really, you know, have time with your family as well as work and all that kind of stuff. She just, I think by doing that, it then meant anytime there was anything on, like if there was a school open day or whatever, so every teacher was just like, yeah, we'll come and we will be there all day from the morning all the way through because we had the balance. Like she, she had encouraged that and she had set the expectations. And I think one of the things that schools do poorly is set up expectations around things. Like I've been at schools where I didn't have a clue what the expectations were because no one told me, but there was expectations around emails where you would reply to an email within you know, an hour. And I'm like, how can you do that though? If you're teaching a class for 55 minutes of those, <laughs> yeah. To yeah, then sit down and reply to an email in five minutes. Uh, and then, but to have systems set up where you just go, you know what, you know, as a teacher and just communicate, communicating that it's just so important. You know, teachers, you're not expected to you know, reply to my emails that I send after four o'clock. Just because I happen to be working at that time doesn't mean that you have to then reply to my email, you know, or maybe I get into school early and I'm going to send you an email at five o'clock in the morning. I don't expect you to suddenly reply to that as soon as you see it. You know, it's an email. If I want your response straight away, I'll call you, you know, because that's what phones are for is for me to call you and say, I need this answer right away. And that's, that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm calling a teacher for. <laughs> Otherwise I'll send an email. They can reply to it anytime in the next day two days maybe maybe even a week depending on how important or how far off the event is that i might be talking about but i think having those expectations and making sure teachers know them is really important because then teachers go okay i'm not expected to check my emails i'm not expected to have my work email on my personal phone i think that's you know that blending of work and personal stuff is one of the big issues I think within a lot of work cultures, but particularly in schools now, you know, I used to have my work email on my personal phone so that I could then check it all the time and reply to people all the time. But that's not, that's not what you're expected to do. You're expected to check your emails on your computer. Normally, you know, when you're sitting at a desk, normally when you're at work, not at 10 o'clock at night when you're sitting in bed <laughs> scrolling through your phone and the notification comes up and go, oh, someone sent me an email. I better check that and reply. No, no, you, you should not have that email on your phone at all. You should never have gotten that notification. You should see that when you open your email system on your computer, I mean, even on your computer, don't have that open. You know, and I think for school leaders to set up those expectations around when things are used, when time can be interrupted, when it can't, uh, to really be clear about the purpose of meetings and only use meetings for what meetings are for, which is really for collaboration. I think that's, that's my approach to meetings is if I'm going to have a meeting, everyone at that meeting should only be there if they're required to contribute. You know, uh, if they're not there to contribute and they're just there to consume, they can probably consume afterwards. I can send them something. You know, even if there's a team that meets, 
they probably generate some kind of document that I can then send to anyone else who needs to see it and go, okay, all these teachers met, this is what we came up with. And then if you have some ideas or feedback you want to give, feel free to give it, send it to this person who will then collate that for me because I don't want to spend all my time collating all your email <laughs> and all your different opinions. Just bring it all together and I go, okay. And then I can go through them and, and see the themes that run through them all, what I've missed and that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll still see everyone's comment. I'm just not going to see everyone's comment six times, you know, and that's, that's a thing too about email is that even as a, as a administrator to save you time, think to the more emails you send, the more you're going to get back. Uh, and so if you can actually collect things down, you know, you just send an email out and you get people replying, thanks. I got that. You know, Oh, thanks. I just read through this. You know, I, I don't need to know that you read through. I presume you read through it. I sent you an email. I'm your deputy or I'm your principal or whatever. You, you read my emails. And yeah, I only need replies that are actually a conversation. And, but yeah, so send less emails and reduce, reduce meetings and just any, anywhere where you have teachers, where you've mandated that teachers do stuff that is not legally required of them. I think you should get rid of it. That's, <laughs> yeah, it might, it might be a great thing, but don't make it mandatory that they have to get it done. Uh, yeah. Communicate even the, what you want achieved and let them come up with the ways that they're going to achieve that for you. Cause that, that's another, like, yeah, a, it might be easiest for you to consume something in a particular way, but you're actually creating 10 times as much work for someone else because of <laughs> to further get it in that particular way that you want. And so, yeah, there's so many ways there for teach for our school leaders to really change stuff. And if you're in a position where you can even impact systems, you know, looking at systems and the way things are done can really reduce the work of teachers. This goes, you know what, this is ridiculous. You know, go and talk to a teacher and say, how do you do this? Like, you know, how much extra work is this particular thing that we've asked you to do? And you'll, you'll find out very quickly. <laughs> teacher like, yeah, no, that takes me an extra three hours a week of work, which I then don't get to put into anything else. And so my, if it doesn't go into my teaching and then my students learning goes down, like it's, yeah. and there's a cascading effect of all those things. And I think for, for leaders, it's often too, it's not necessarily big things that we put on teachers. It's just lots of little things. And if we can go through and go, do you know what? We don't need to do this bit. You know, let's, let's get rid of marking roles every single lesson. Let's get rid of, you know, creating, I don't know, changes to routine forms. Just send a notification to the office desk that just says where you are, you know, <laughs> that should be enough. So it's because the main point is that we need to know where you are that we can find you. You know, if there's an emergency, we need to be able to track students and teachers and stuff, but we don't necessarily need to have a two page form filled in for that to be approved so that you can actually change from that classroom to the one, two doors down. Like that's, that's crazy. I think, but it exists. It's there. Oh, most definitely. And this, in, in all this advice is just wonderful because it's, it is, there are things that we can do. And I, I think one of the things that you made the point of is just simply explaining our expectations because otherwise people do fear that, you know, the administrator sent it to me, therefore I have to respond even if it's at eight o'clock at night and you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's just when I was doing work. You don't have, and I think that's, that yes. alone is so powerful as well as, you know, not cramming a uh, 15 minute meeting into an hour and a half. So, you know, <laughs> so, but uh, good stuff. I, I love it. Dan, this has been awesome talking with you. And as we're finishing up, uh, I, where can people connect and learn more? Where would you like me to send them? Uh, yeah, I think if they come and connect with me on Instagram, probably. So 
at Dan Jackson TPD. So teachers PD is what the TPD stands for. Uh, you can connect with me there. You can message me and stuff there if you want to. Otherwise, you head over to teacherspd.net and you can contact me through that. There's forms on there or you can find my email on there and I'd love to hear from people and find out how I can help. Excellent. And I'll have that in the show notes. And uh, I got one last question for you, Dan, and it goes like this. How, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? Yeah, I had a great teacher in year five, actually, who was amazing, really helped me uh, to start to really engage in learning. She was very creative with the way that she did her teaching. Her name was Helen Rivers. And I actually, I, I know her quite well, like she, because my parents were teachers as well. There were times where she would travel to school in my car and she actually now lives not too far from where I do. So, uh, yeah, I have, I have thanked her many times <laughs> for uh, instilling in me a, a desire to learn. I think that that's really where that came from. It was around year five when I, when I had her as my teacher. She was, yeah, she was amazing. I think teachers can, can just create that spark you know, and it doesn't have to be you necessarily. Kids will have lots of different teachers throughout their education life, but um, they're, they're, normally there's at least one that a kid just connects with and goes, yeah, that's 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 where it happened and that, that's where it began for me, my spark of learning, and it, uh, it grew from there, I think, and I'm quite happy with where it's going. I'm still learning. <laughs> That's, that's, that's cool. That's very cool. Thanks for sharing. I, Dan, I can't thank you enough for sharing your book, Work Less, Teach More, How to Be an Effective Teacher and Live a Life You Love. Excellent book. Awesome advice. I love the podcast and your website. You got all kinds of cool stuff there and I encourage people to go check them out. Um, your book's easy to read and, and use and uh, wishing you the best in all you do. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. Here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.